You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Jay Samet. Jay came on Young and Profiting Podcast way back when on episode number 27, and now he's back for a second time to give us actionable insights and to talk about his new book, Future Proofing You, 12 Truths for Creating Opportunity, Maximizing Wealth, and Controlling Your Destiny in an Uncertain World. Jay is a leading technology innovator and serial entrepreneur. He's known for pioneering advancements in music, video distribution, social media, and e-commerce. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, has advised Fortune 500 firms, has transformed entire industries, has revamped government institutions, and for three decades, he continues to be at the forefront of global technology trends. He's led the creation of over 300 consumer software titles while developing technology for Microsoft, Apple, Intel, and IBM. He's even led the White House Initiative for Education and Technology and has created global charitable projects aired on NBC and MTV. On top of all this, Jay Samet is the author of the best-selling book, Disrupt You, and his newest book, Future Proofing You, recently came out in March of 2021. In this episode, we'll be discussing how to succeed in a world where there are no longer gatekeepers to success. We'll also discuss the story of his mentee, Vin Clancy, who is empowered through Jay's guidance to go from being on welfare to becoming a self-made millionaire in just one year. And lastly, we're going to cover Jay's 12 truths for making a business or career future-proof, as well as his visions for the future, including his thoughts on augmented reality and NFTs. Hey, Jay, welcome back to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thanks for having me. Fun to be here. I am so excited. So for all of my listeners who are tuning in, Jay was with us back during episode number 27. That was almost two years ago. And since then, we've grown like 10x. And I've invited him back on the show because he's got a new book coming out. Episode 27, we covered Disrupt You. And now he's got Future Proofing You coming out. So really excited to dive into all of that. And I do want to introduce you to my listeners so that they understand who you are, because I think a lot of people aren't going to go back and listen to episode number 27. You guys should, because it was a very popular episode. In fact, I replayed it as a Yap classic because everybody liked it so much. So you guys should go back to check out number 27. But for those of 
the listeners out there who may not know about you, you know, when I hear the name Jay Samet, I think disruptor, innovator, right? Uh, these are the words that come to mind. You've disrupted the e-commerce space, the PC space, social media. There's so many places that you've disrupted. So help us understand some of your firsts. I know you were the first one who put video on a computer. What other firsts have you accomplished? And introduce yourself to our listeners in that capacity. When you're when you're old, you have a lot of firsts. Um, I actually got on the internet in 1978. Lucky, you know, there were only three campuses tied and the world ended up where I was going. But back in the 80s, I assumed that a PC and a TV would be merged together and we'd have video and be doing just what we're doing now. I didn't realize it would take most of my life. On the big firsts, uh, have an Emmy for creating video on demand. So when you get video and you say, I want to watch this tonight on your TV. So did lots of fun stuff, created video games in the early days. I've sat in an empty room, did the first auction on the internet, which you now know as eBay. I sat with Reid Hoffman and launched LinkedIn, uh, did one of the first social media uh, platforms, the first college platform 10 years before Facebook. So part of my truths, one of my 12 truths in this book is to fill a void. Like, I hate competition. So I'm always doing the next thing because there's always going to be somebody better than you. But if you're the only one doing it, you're the best. And then the flip side is I also was an entrepreneur. I was brought in to turn around giant companies. I've had hundreds of thousands of employees. I've been a NASDAQ CEO. I've taken companies public. I've sold companies. I've merged companies. I've had more fun than anybody should be allowed to. Wow. It's incredible what you've accomplished. And I think you talked about this in our last episode. Weren't you also the one who brought like the kiosk to airports, like that, like know where you're going type of thing, those maps? Yeah. So the first kiosk doing that. The other thing is, is I was appointed uh, by President Clinton. Could I get the internet into every classroom in the United States? And I got to remember before Wi-Fi, that meant pulling cables and going through walls. And we accomplished that in 18 months without a dime of taxpayer money. So big ideas attract big minds. And when you help others, you end up helping yourself. I mean, the best way to get joy out of life is solving problems for others. Oh my gosh. It's so incredible all that you've accomplished and the things that you've touched and kind of been behind the scenes on. It's it's just so crazy because even now you just rattled off things. I had no idea you were involved with LinkedIn and that's like my main platform. So it's so cool. All right. So let's talk about your career journey a little bit. Um, I think there's some great insight that my listeners can learn. So you graduated from UCLA in 1982 and you graduated into a depression. And oh, you, yeah. there were you, no jobs. Yeah. And you strive to get good grades, right? And, and you were sold on the dream that, you know, you go to a good school, you get good grades, you get a good job. And you live happily ever after. Yeah, yeah. It didn't turn out that way for you. So tell us about how you ended up, you know, getting a job in media without any connections or, you know, in, in such a bad market. How did you do that? So there were a couple of things. I eventually figured out my pattern was you can solve any problem with data. So we're, we're, we're pre-internet, we're pre-PCs, we're pre-when people use the word data. I wanted to, Star Wars was the movie that changed my life like everybody's. I wanted to make Hollywood special effects. A couple problems, I knew no one in Hollywood, I knew nothing about special effects and didn't know where to start. So I took out what's called a blind ad in The Hollywood Reporter that described the job I want to get as if I was a studio offering that job. And that gave me a bunch of resumes, which gave me two pieces of data. One, what do I need on my resume? What skills? What do I need to accomplish so I could get 
in those type of jobs. And number two, everybody that sent a resume had a job with one foot out the door, so those companies would be having openings. So that was the first round. Once I figured that piece out, I then made a big financial investment, a huge bet in my life. I bet one, I spent $1 and I printed up some business cards, 100 business cards. But I knew if I started a special effects company, no one would hire a company run by a 21-year-old. Like, what do I know? So I made myself head of sales. I didn't make myself the head of the company. The company was called Jasmine Productions. J-A-S is my initials, J. Allen Salmon, and it was mine. So that's where Jasmine came from. And then I went out and hustled, which everybody listening to your show knows what that's about. And I discovered something. I was competing against George Lucas and ILM. Most people can't afford George Lucas and ILM. So I got a lot of gigs on small budget movies and commercials and things that you wouldn't hear of. And then I did what everybody else does. I just hired people to do the work. I didn't know what I was doing. So there's only two things you need to succeed as an entrepreneur, insight and perseverance. I can teach and disrupt you and in Future Proofing You, I teach people how to find insight, how to find the next opportunities. And in Future Proofing You, I really dug into how to take perseverance and turn it into passion, how to solve a problem that you care about because it'll get you through the rough spots. This isn't about you wake up one day and then you're rich. This is about you're going to hit obstacles, but every obstacle is an opportunity in disguise. And if you can see that, then you'll find success. Okay. So I think that's really interesting. And the last kind of introductory question before we really dive into the 12 truths that you have in your new book, Future Proofing You, is I know that you were dyslexic growing up, right? And I think that a lot of- Still am. Okay. So you're still (laughs) dyslexic, right? I think I'm dyslexic and I've never been diagnosed, honestly. But like, so you're dyslexic and- that definitely had to have had an impact on you growing up. So I want to understand like what, what happened with your self-esteem with that? And then also how did that help you become an entrepreneur? So as a child, and I grew up in Philadelphia where the, the Philadelphia Eagles is the football team. So the reading groups in like first grade were the Eagles, the Hawks, and the Mud Hens. When, when you're labeled a Mud Hen, you pretty much know you're a loser and there's not much expected of you. And you don't like that as a kid. So what I learned real early on is when there was a group assignment, I would raise my hand right up first to go, oh, let me be in charge. That way I could delegate the things that I couldn't do as well as others, and I could mask what I couldn't do, which is really all that an executive, a founder, an entrepreneur does the rest of their life. So it was great training. So much so that one out of three Fortune 500 CEOs is dyslexic. Richard Branson dyslexic, Walt Disney dyslexic. Pat, General Patton dyslexic. It turns out it is my superpower. We all have something that makes us unique. We all have something that makes us different. And if you lean into that, that will be your avenue to success. So I'll tell you a, a story that, that's in Future Proofing You. There's a young man, he's in middle school, and he's got ADD. Can't control the brain. It's just racing, racing. And so what parents and doctors tend to do is they dope him up with the Ritalin and other stuff, and he hates just being living his life zoned out. But when he's in the backyard swimming in his pool, he can slow down his mind. He can get more control of himself. So he, he went to his mother and he said, Mom, if I promise to swim every day, will you take me off these drugs? And the mom said, sure. And this kid swam every day, seven days a week. And by the end of his teenage years, he had 17 Olympic medals. His name's Michael Phelps. So Michael Phelps' superpower is not swimming or having long arms or any of that. His superpower was the ADD. And once he conquered that, so Disrupt You was all about changing that voice in your head 
So for me, it was, I'm stupid, I'll never become anything. For others, it might be you can't public speak or you're not good at business or whatever it is. Whoever you went to bed as last night is not who you have to be today. And once you can see that you're malleable and you can change that voice, you can change anything in the world. Yeah, and Disrupt You was such a breakout hit. How long ago did you write that? So that was uh, five years ago, and it has been the most rewarding thing in my life. I wrote it to pay, I do all these books just to pay it forward. I started teaching how to build a high-tech startup at universities to help people. I had two students that did $150 million in a semester. But what I didn't anticipate is when I'm a CEO, when you have hundreds of thousands of people and shareholders, your inbox is, I hate you, I hate you, we're suing you, this problem. It's just problems. That's your problems rise up to the boss. When you write a book that changes people's lives, I've heard from people in 140 countries. Uh, this year, it comes out now in Urdu, Icelandic, and Polish. I mean, it just keeps on coming out in more languages. And it's allowed me to work with governments to set up governments to be more supportive of entrepreneurs. A teacher adapted it to be a high school curriculum, and she won Teacher of the Year. I got Hewlett Packard to print free copies of the student workbook for all the kids at Boys and Girls Club. I mean, it's just been a wonderful journey. I love hearing people's success stories because I didn't do anything. I just gave you a mirror to hold up to yourself. You have it in you. Yeah, I would definitely encourage everyone, if you're interested about Disrupt You, we went through it in great detail, episode number 27. Go check that out. So five years later, you're putting out a new book. It's called Future Proofing You. Yep, there, there you go. If you guys are watching on video, he just pulled up the book. And now, yes, Future Proofing You. So tell us, like, why did you decide that you needed to write this book? And I have a, a random question, kind of. Did you, once like COVID started, is that when you thought, you know, we need a book like this? Or did you have the idea before COVID? So I had the idea, but COVID completely influenced the book because the world has changed fundamentally. And I wanted to capture, in the first book, I've been telling for five years, whether by choice or circumstance, every career gets disrupted. I don't have to make that argument anymore. I think COVID kind of proved that anything can change. And we live in an uncertain world. This won't be the last pandemic. This won't be the last disaster. There won't be the last recession, whatever it may be. But I never planned to write a second book. And as I was saying, I get what I call love letters, these fan mail, which I love but occasionally, usually from a younger person, I'd get, this is all motivational, but I could never do it. And I actually dedicated the book to the reader who said, not everybody can be a millionaire. And I wrote, yep, you're wrong. So I said, how can I reach somebody? What, what am I missing? Where did I fail in communicating what's possible? So I said, what if I put my reputation online? What if I take somebody that grew up on welfare was basically one step above homeless, was couch surfing, living with friends. And I mentored him one day a week for a year. I gave him no money. I don't give him any contacts. I don't tell him what business to do. He has to start a business that takes no capital. Could he get from that to self-made millionaire? And I'll give away the ending. He did it in 11 months, but he worked his butt off. He worked harder than most people are willing to work so he can live in a manner most people can't. So that was the genesis of the book. And when you mentor, you learn. I learned from him of what is different about the challenges for today. Nobody's facing the world that I faced in 1980. That's ludicrous. I always hate those famous people that write, well, if you did this after World War II, you'd be successful too. Well, you can't. But wages have been flat since 1982 in the United States. So 
It is hard to make it. The old, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to raise my family, I'm going to pay off the house, I'm going to have a pension, doesn't exist. In the 1950s, two years' salary was the average price of a house. So mom stayed home, only one salary, then everybody lived happily ever after. That's gone. And if you think your big company jobs are secure, half of all jobs will disappear over the next five years. And it's not just, okay, truck drivers, automated trucks, factory workers. I was independent vice chairman of Deloitte, okay? Did $45 billion a year, Deloitte. Accountants, going to be software. Most legal, going to be software. Middle management, AI systems. Jobs are going away. So unless you take control of your destiny, unless you continue to be as full of change as the world around you, your prospects are bleak. That's so powerful and, and sets this up so well. You did mention the, the, the guy that you were mentoring um, who was couch surfing and, and really one step away from being homeless. And in 11 months, you helped him become a millionaire. You didn't fund him. You just gave him advice. This guy's name was Vin Clancy. So I really want my listeners to hear the story about Vin. So, so walk us through that. Give us some detail in terms of how you shaped him and what he ended up doing. So I, I, this idea was germinating in my mind, if I could just find somebody. And what I didn't want to do is cherry pick. I didn't want to go, I'm going to teach somebody golf. Uh, oh, Tiger Woods, come over here. I wanted to just say the first person that I try with, I have to do it. But Vin's life story of his parents being on welfare, of him having a, a tough childhood, he wasn't, he was an immigrant, he wasn't from this country, he had no safety net. I can't get him to organically become a growth mindset. I can't get him in that, honestly. I have to have him hit the ground running. So truth number one of the 12 truths is you have to have a growth mindset. So, and he didn't find this out until I let him read the book after it was typeset, that in our first meeting, I lied to Vin. So there's a psychological principle called the Pygmalion effect. A professor went to a school, an elementary school, tested all the kids, told the teachers these three kids would be super learners. And at the end of the year, they tested all the kids. And guess what? Those three kids excelled beyond everybody. But the professor lied. He never looked at the first test results, picked three names out of a hat. But if you tell people that they're special, they believe it. So when I sat down with Vin the first time, took him out for pizza. So in honesty, I did give him two pizzas in one year. So... That was my help for him. I told him I had interviewed over 100 candidates. He was the only one that had all the attributes to be a self-made millionaire. He hit every tick box, and he was my first choice for this. And so he internalized that. He may have not fully believed it, but he figured if this old dude, if this guy who's you know run billion-dollar empires and created billion-dollar companies, if he sees it, then it must be true. That let him hit the ground like, a rocket. By the end of the first month, he had made over $60,000. I joked that he could have flown to Europe without a plane. I mean, he was so on top of the world. Now let's fast forward a few months. He's, he's working hard. He's doing, we can get into what he did. But mid-year, he's about a half a million dollars and his business gets sucker punched. Something that he didn't do, but all of a sudden it's over. It's down. He's got an unforeseeable problem. And I figure, okay, so a book about a guy who makes a half a million, that would be okay with it. I figured he was down for the count. But that growth mindset had so become part of his soul that when his business couldn't do the way he was doing it, he said, okay, that doesn't work. Let me try something else. And at the end of the month, when we sat down, his target for that month was to make hundred grand, And he made $96,000. He was beating himself up. And I was laughing inside. Could the old Vin have imagined being upset at only making $96,000 in a month? 
So it was an amazing journey. He, I pushed him hard. It was kind of like SEAL training or being on a marathon. I didn't want him to, to tap out. I didn't want him to give up. He had no social life. He didn't do anything. You know, you don't have to, you can have more work-life balance if you're not trying to become a millionaire in a year. But at the end of that year, what got him through, you know, month 11, month 12, was he was going to take a year off, travel the world, okay? And the only way he was able to do that is because he was future-proof, meaning he knew that whenever he wanted to turn it on again, he could have a business again. He could make money again. He didn't have to be dependent on, is there a job available? Will somebody hire me? Oh, there's so many other people competing for the one job. And today, he now has Fortune 500 clients, which is amazing to me, doing the same things that people were paying $200 a month to do He's now getting six figures a month to do. Yeah. And so just curious when you told him that you had lied to him about, you know, him being the one that you picked out of 100 candidates, how did he react? I forget what the page number is, but he he texted me and goes, I just read page such and such. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think that's so great. But the flip side is he, after our first meeting, he sat down and stayed at the restaurant after I left and, and paid. And he wrote a note to himself. And he didn't have, we didn't have the rapport yet, but six months into it, he shared that note to me. And I put the note in the book where, in my own words, basically says, this old guy's full of it, but I got nothing else going on, so I'll play along. I mean, it proved to me that he wasn't in a place or a mindset where he believed that he could achieve what he would, would end up achieving. And the trust and friendship had developed by that point that he could say, look, this is where I really was at that point. And uh, amazing journey. It's super interesting. So I know your your first truth is you must have a growth mindset in order to succeed. So why did you decide that was truth number one? How does that kind of set you up for everything else? And how about people who are like Vin, who don't have a growth mindset? How do they snap out of it if they don't have a Jay Samet who's going to take them under their wing? Well, jumping ahead, one of the, the later truths is don't fly solo. You're going to need a series of mentors in your life. I used to run the world's largest record company, okay? Home of the Beatles and Pink Floyd and, and Queen and Garth Brooks and countless others. And part of that myth was to make it seem that these were self-made people, right? When you went to a concert and you saw one guy on the stage and 100,000 fans, he's singing from his heart to yours. He got there on his own. What you don't see is the dozens of producers, musicians, songwriters, publicists, execs, roadies, I mean, lawyers, everybody that it takes to make that individual. So when we see, you know, Bill Gates had mentors, Mark Zuckerberg had Steve Jobs as a mentor. I mean, Mother Teresa found her mentor on a bus bench. I mean, you know, Jay-Z, look at anybody. So don't think that you have to get there on your own. So that's, that's part of the answer to that. But the reason why it starts with growth mindset, we all know that person that comes to the office or comes to work with a cloud over their head. Oh, I got such problems. Oh, I got such problems. Oh, you know, the whole world is miserable. Oh. But with a growth mindset, you look at every problem and say, wait a second, lots of people have this problem. If I solve this, that's a business. Entrepreneurs don't sell things, they solve problems. Solve for a few people, you have friends. Solve for a million, you make millions. Solve for a billion, you change history. Dozens of people that I work with became household names and billionaires. And if you would have told me I would know somebody that made a billion dollars, I'd be like, you're, you're out of your mind. I, I came from 
You know, my dad was a public school teacher. So I've seen it and I've seen and work with the Steve Jobs and the, and the Bill Gates and, and et cetera, et cetera, before, you know, Reed Hoffman, you know, who did wrote the forward to Disrupt You. I knew these people before they, they were household names, you know. Most of them didn't go to the right schools. None of them came from money. Elon Musk was an immigrant. But they did something different. They looked at the world differently. And that can be taught. And every 48 hours, there's a new self-made billionaire. You won't most likely get to a billion dollars the Warren Buffett way, taking nothing away from, from the genius. He just crossed $100 billion. He's worth more than me, okay? But he made 99% of that after he was 50. I'm on the wrong side of 50, and I will tell you, I'd have a lot more fun with that billion dollars if I was like Kylie Jenner, and I hit a billion dollars at 22. So how did she become a billionaire at 22? And you go, well, she's a Kardashian. There's no billionaires in the Kardashian family. What did she do differently? How can you do that? We're all connected by a phone. We're one click away from 7 billion potential customers. You only have to zero in on the right thing for one nanosecond to make that kind of money. And speaking of that, I know one thing that you say is that there's no such thing as a gatekeeper anymore in today's day and age. You say there's there's no gatekeepers. And I talk about this all the time. I read that and I started laughing because I was like, you know what? On my 100th episode, it was almost, that was a big part of it is me saying that there's no such thing as a gatekeeper. If a gatekeeper tells you no, it means create your own path, create your own lane. You could just do it on your own. You have control of your life. I want to understand from you, like, why do you feel that things have changed? And is this like a recent change or did you always feel this way in terms of gatekeepers? So I made every mistake imaginable and I'll still make new ones. But when I started my company, I didn't know how you raised money. I did all my credit cards, the worst thing you can do, you know, paying 30 plus percent interest. Um, But, you know, everybody goes, well, you need to develop a relationship with a banker. A banker will be important to your life. Well, that may be true for somebody. I have yet to develop that relationship, and I've raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups. But you now have crowdfunding. You now have, you can create your own digital currency. You can go to private equity. You can go to venture capitalists. You can go to strategics. I also, in the first book, talked about my favorite form of money, OPM, other people's money, that there's companies that will give you millions of dollars that they don't want any equity and they don't want to pay it back. So that's not stopping you. The infrastructure for you to do a podcast, to do a digital business, to do anything already exists. The big guys spent billions and billions and we're now moving into, you know, a spatial reality world with huge new opportunities. You didn't have to invent the smartphone. So it's up to you. All of mankind and womankind's knowledge for the past 14,000 years is on the internet. Every fact, every journal, every book, every piece of knowledge. So you can get all the knowledge you want or you can watch cats playing on a piano, right? So there are people that are learning and growing. And one of, one of the things that really shocked me was my book came out in Vietnamese and Vietnam. It was number one. And I went over there after that because I hadn't been and all that I knew of Vietnam was what we learned about the, the war back when. And it was the happiest place I, I've ever been. The people seemed like you were at Disneyland. Everybody was so happy. Why? 
because grandparents saw that their kids had a better life and their grandkids had an even better future and people were trying to learn and they're sucking in knowledge to compete with the rest of the world and to do whatever. What we learned from the pandemic with everybody working remotely is you no longer have to live in a major city where you're paying huge rent to start your company. You're no longer limited to hire the best people that live within 10 miles of you because of commuting. You can now hire the best people in the world, and they may be in a country that work for far less. So you can now virtualize your life. And my best friend's son is what I call a digital nomad. He's got a great job at Google, okay? But this month he'll be in Hawaii for a month and keep his job. Then he can go to Thailand or he can run with the bulls in Spain. He doesn't have to wait till he's old and decrepit to go and travel and see this beautiful planet. He can have a work-life balance that never existed because remote workers are a new strategic advantage. And truth number 12. I mean, I totally agree. I started, uh, since we last talked, I started a marketing agency called Yap Media and I have 40 employees and over half of them are in the Philippines and India and UK. And so I totally agree. There's so much great talent out there, especially creatives in other countries. And, you know, I treat them like they're- How great is it to go to bed and, you know, to get put out assignments, go to bed and wake up and have it in your inbox. Yeah. I've run global companies for years and, and, and- It used to be something that only the big multinationals could do. And here's some secrets. Employees, whether in the U.S. or overseas, that are given that choice of working from home, would prefer that over a sign-on bonus, would prefer that over getting their student loans paid off. There's less turnover, and they're 40% more productive. So this is really the insight. I list the 23 best software tools that are most startups free to manage your virtual business. I'm sure many of them you're already using just to give people that head start to think of it this way. You know, Vin started a company with no money, no employees, you know, just a virtual existence and it worked. What was Vin's company? Just to circle back to that. So Vin did exactly what Yap Media is. He he grew up as, as many of your generation of understanding social media and wanted to do social media marketing like 40 million other people. Like, who's going to hire him? And that's the problem. So as I started to explain that you can go compete against everybody that's already doing it, good luck with that, or you can find a void. What are people talking about in the news? What's the new thing? And make your agency all about being the agency for that one new thing. Then you're the best doing that. And the second you do your first client, then you have what MBAs like to call a case study. So now you really are the best in that field. So the year I was mentoring, Bitcoin was all the rage. That's all anybody was talking about. Bitcoin went from 1,000 to 20,000. The the world stopped spinning. And at the same time, everybody that didn't get in early enough on Bitcoin suddenly launched new currencies, Ethereum, everything. There were thousands of people, and they knew that that window would only be open for a second. So how fast can I get my coin launch, my initial coin offering, ICO? So Vin decided he would be the expert on that. The second he got one client and killed it for that client, he now had that case study that showed it. So the same work that he was doing in social media for a couple hundred dollars a month for somebody, he was now having clients pay him 30,000 a month to do the same work. But they would pay it because of the results that they would get. Then I taught him how you do structure a deal that if you have a marketing agency, you could potentially market somebody that makes $10 million that month. 
and you get your fee. Why not say I'll work for less of a fee or no fee if I can get a percentage of what I'm creating? Now, your downside is minimal, but your upside's unlimited. And anyone with a brain would give you that deal because it aligns your desires with their desires. When I hire a consultant, and remember, I used to run the world's largest consulting company, they just want to charge consulting hours, right? Their job is to take your money. When a consultant now says to you, I'll work for free, but I'm going to take a piece of what I earn, you go, go. I only want to pay you a million dollars. I only want to pay you $10 million. How much can you make me? So deal structure is a big part of understanding how to generate wealth. If you're going to be paid hourly, you're going to wake up one day and realize you're a wage slave. After college, I, I didn't talk about this, but I got a full scholarship to go to law school, a top law school. And I decided I don't want to be a lawyer. I had just had no desire. I was doing it to please my parents. And I didn't go. And my folks didn't talk to me for several years. They were really upset. Fast forward, I have lots of friends that went that route. You start off making a good living, but you realize at some point you're still just an hourly, you never will get to wealth. And at that point, they feel trapped because they can't go and start over and they, they, or they're afraid to. So, you know, the more you can structure the what you do, you benefit from. That's the only way you create wealth. And that's the only way you make money when you're sleeping. Oh my gosh, this segment of the episode, I find so powerful because there's so many lessons in this. I love saying that like when you're starting a business, find the void and really focus on that void. That way you kind of uh, differentiate yourself in the market for Yap Media. We're a podcast marketing and social media agency. And so that's our differentiator. We are all about, we know everything about podcasting. Plus we can do everything else, right? So- I love that. I think that's really cool. So I'll give you a little acronym. So yeah. The acronym for launching anything that I have is MOVE. M is mindset. You have to start with that mindset. Okay. You have to find an obstacle. What is the problem that you're solving? Okay. Find the void. Okay. That nobody else is doing. And then execution. And that's it. There's no fancy rocket science. It's just those basic steps. And I, and in Future Proofing You, we map out Vin's journey so you can see page by page, week by week, month by month, how he follows the 12 truths and what the results are. At the end of each chapter, there's a little sidebar that does his accounting for the month. So here's where he made the money, here's what he, here's what he learned, and, and here's the problem. So it's like a page turner. I wonder how Vin's going to do. But it's so teachable and so doable. It doesn't mean it happens overnight. It doesn't happen without work. This isn't future-proofing you isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a roadmap. It's a workbook for you to achieve your goals. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Grammarly. Are you tired of the email trap? What starts off as an innocent email can quickly escalate into a rapid-fire argument. We've all been there, hovering a finger over the send button, wondering if we should leave our latest masterpiece attempt in at getting the last word in the draft folder or if we should hit the send button. With the written word, things easily get misinterpreted, and it ends up sucking up our time because we're explaining away misunderstandings. We even sometimes have to hop on a call to clear anything up, and it's just a disaster. Making better connections means it's not just about what you say, it's about how you say it. 
I always thought there must be a better way and recently I found it. Introducing Grammarly Premium. With Grammarly Premium, you can write clearly and confidently by getting real-time feedback and guidance on tone, word choice, clarity, and more. I find myself using Grammarly every day now. Aside from 10xing my email game and helping to improve my tone, believe it or not, I sound pretty cold on email even though I'm so bubbly on the mic. So it's been super useful there and my team and I also love to use Grammarly for social media copy. They have features that are super useful for that. People hate reading on social media, so you need to be as concise as possible. They have this feature called the clarity suggestion and you can write clearer, more concise sentences because it removes redundant words. They also have a vocabulary suggestion tool, and that makes sure that we don't overuse words and keep readers engaged by changing certain words to be more exciting and memorable. And if you've seen me crushing it on LinkedIn, I'm at almost 100K followers. Now you know that Grammarly is my secret weapon. Grammarly Premium helps you communicate more effectively with advanced real-time feedback. And it doesn't just correct your mistakes, it helps you build up your skills as a writer because it provides suggestions on grammar, punctuation, sentence structure, and more. And if you're an avid listener of the podcast, you probably know that I have about 40 employees. Half of them are overseas and many of them overseas have to write emails. They have to write emails to clients, to potential sponsors. And now I have such peace of mind knowing that they have access to Grammarly Premium because their writing skills have improved. And I know that our emails are gonna go off without a hitch. So it's such peace of mind for me as a business owner. You can harness the power of Grammarly on every platform with their desktop editor, browser extension, and they even have a mobile app. It works on Outlook, Gmail, LinkedIn, and Google Docs. If you're looking to level up your writing skills, check out Grammarly Premium. Do more than just spell check. Say what you mean with Grammarly Premium. Get 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash yap. That's 20% off at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash yap. I also just want to call out one other thing. The fact that you said that it really started with that one client that he got that kind of proof from the case study that proved everything out that he then could leverage over and over and over again to keep building his business. So, And I'll give you the example in my life. Um, a few years ago, some VCs called me. They put $8 million into a startup, an advertising platform, a digital advertising platform that had lifetime sales of $30,000. It was dead in the water, wasn't going. But I saw what it could be and should be. So it did the same thing. Couldn't get any paying clients, so why not go and start improve what we could do for charities? Because the boards of charities aren't charities. The boards of charities are chief marketing officers of major brands who are civic-minded, so they're going to see what you do. Fast forward, suddenly now we get Coca-Cola and Disney and Microsoft and all these big brands paying us. And 18 months later, the News Corp acquired it for $200 million. That's amazing. This is what you can do. And it's done again and again. And I also explain in the book why startups sell for these insane amounts of money. Because most people go, I don't get it. You know, they, they got this in sales. How could it be worth that? So let me explain it. Because I think it's really helpful for entrepreneurs and will embolden you to create something. I've been a public company NASDAQ CEO. 
Every CEO, when they have the job, will tell you, I'm thinking about the shareholders, I'm thinking about the employees, I'm thinking about the customers, whatever. Here's what they're really thinking about, themselves. Because CEOs of big companies get paid very little, but they have a huge bonus package. If the stock moves to here, they back up the Brinks truck to your house and give you obscene amounts of money. So if that's the way that you're hired, what are you thinking about? How do I hit that number? So the easiest way to hit profits, the hard way is to develop something good and get more sales. The easier way is stop spending. So they stop R&D. They stop developing next year's product and the year after. Because again, most CEOs don't last very long. They're like a piece of brie cheese. They smell after a while and the board gets rid of them. So if you can hit that number, great. So now all of a sudden, you hit the number, got it, but uh-oh, we got nothing to sell next year. Our core business has changed. Then go out and acquire something that instantly puts you in the game. So let's take Google, super successful company, own desktop advertising, best business model of all time. They're printing money like they're Google. But all of a sudden, everybody started using their phone. People weren't at their desktops anymore. They're losing market share. It's going away. So they bought Android. They bought hundreds of companies, okay? Facebook could have hired the guy who created WhatsApp. He applied for a job. He didn't get it. Less than three years later, they buy his WhatsApp for $17 billion. He would have given them the idea for free. Why did they pay so much? Because if somebody else got it, that'd be a formidable competition. Their whole empire could disappear. So people will always overpay to block somebody else from getting it or to keep their job. So why wouldn't you want to sell something for that? Because what you're really doing when you sell something for a lot of money is you're pulling your future revenues into the present. Sure, if I kept this company or that company for the next 20 years, I would get the same amount of money. But I could get a little less and they'll give it to me all today. Hmm. Sounds like a good deal. I'll always be the guy that sells out early. Now, the only time I've raised my voice in my career, I was mentoring two young people in their 20s. They had a very good idea. First month in business, a very famous wealthy person comes along and offers them $100 million for their company. And I'm like, we're taking it, right? And they're like, no, we're going to be billionaires. Oh, this is just the first offer. Like, it's $100 million. There's nothing you can do with a billion that you couldn't do with $100 million. Make a long story short, they turn it down. I leave the board. By next year, there's 100 companies doing the same thing as them. They have to raise more money. By the next year, they have to raise more money. Today, if it literally sold for a billion dollars, they'd get less money than they would have gotten in the first 30 days. Goes to show you how you got to act fast. And you want to make sure that you have good advisors, that you have mentors that can explain that the that you were smart enough to have that moment in the sun. Are you smart enough to capitalize it? Back in my early days, I, at one point in history, very early history, I had seven of the top 10 selling video games in the US, my little company. And all of a sudden, another company came and offered me a third of their company for all of mine. And I'm like, I don't understand stock. I don't get this. I don't, you know. So I turned down Activision. Oh my God. <laughs> which is an $18 billion company. I went to public school, but a third of 18 billion is $6 billion in my 20s. So believe me, I didn't learn these things because I'm a genius. I learned them because I got the scars to prove it.
Yeah. I mean, we're looking for advisors for Yap Media right now. We've scaled it to almost a million in recurring annual revenue in less than six months. So really great stuff. But I know that I don't know everything and I've got a lot of experience, but I definitely need more help. Hitting the million dollars is, is a major milestone for companies because it proves the model. Okay. I'm on, the, on a board of a company that, that, that struggled and all of a sudden, mid-year last year, we hit the, 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 the million dollars. Fast forward a year later, we're doing a million a week. Wow. So that blitz scaling, a whole different skill sets than what got you to where you are and it, a whole new set of problems and obstacles. But congratulations, that's a major accomplishment. Thank you. Okay, so back to the 12 truths and future proofing. Let's do a quick fire segment. I want, I'm gonna rattle off some of the truths. I don't expect you to, I didn't expect you to have your 12 truths memorized, although knowing you, you probably do know them all by heart. I'm going to rattle them off. And why don't you say what the truth is and give some actionable advice. And I may ask some follow-up questions. So we already talked about growth mindset. So I'm going to skip that one. Your fourth truth is failure is great. What is this truth and how can we take action? So when you see a, a toddler, they don't stay, wake up and say, today I shall walk across the room. They try it, they stumble, they try it, they stumble. When you play, play a video game, you hit an obstacle, you fail, you finally get over it, then there's another, another, another. That's all the work is. You will fail your way to the top. Jeff Bezos with Amazon lost money year after year after year after year. And when he came out the other side, he was the richest man in the world. So don't beat yourself up for failing. Failing just means you figured out what doesn't work. So you try another path. You know, some of the most successful companies were pivots of something that they didn't set out to do. So that's what I mean by that. You cannot become successful without failing. And, you know, what if we do fail? How do we overcome it quickly and kind of get back up on the horse? To acknowledge it, or one tip if you're really beating yourself up for write down everything that's bothering you on a piece of paper, get it all out, and then just throw away the piece of paper. You know, it's cathartic. Just move on. Because every moment you spend thinking about the past is a moment you're stealing from your future. And I think failing gets easier. Like, once you've failed a few times and you realize that, like, this is just part of the process, and the more I fail, the more likely I'm actually going to achieve, it gets easier and easier, right? And with that, and we skipped over it, but fear, you know, is one of the truths. That fear is something that can be harnessed. Fear is a positive. I hate, 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 hate the guru charlatans that say fear isn't real. We are biologically hardwired to be fearful. You're only here because your great ancestor saw that saber-toothed tiger and ran. The people that weren't afraid of it were lunch, okay? But athletes can harness fear to make adrenaline, which makes their heart pump more and they, they get better results. So if, you, if you're afraid of starting your company because you'll be embarrassed, because you'll fail, because you'll lose your money, you lose family money, you lose other people's money, all real fears. But if you're crossing the street and a truck's about to run you over, you're not thinking about those fears, you're thinking about the existential one of, if I don't jump out of the way, I die. So now let's put this in the context of those fears about your business. If you're at a job where you're not growing, where it's just paying you to survive but not to thrive and live, you're going to trade a day, a week, a year, a month, years, 10 years. You're going to wake up one day and realize you gave away the most precious thing in the world, the only life you will have for what? Nothing? And if you don't believe me, 
Go talk to your grandparents. Go to an old age home. Ask somebody at that stage what their biggest regret is. It's not what they failed at. It's what they failed to try. So focus on that fear and the others seem inconsequential. And if people make fun of you, here's a tip. I have yet to meet a hater that's doing better than I am. They're making fun of because they don't have the guts to believe in themselves. Investors would rather invest in somebody that's already failed once than somebody that's doing their first business because it shows that you have grit. Okay, number six, the sixth truth, passion makes you unstoppable. So I don't want to minimize how hard the journey will be. The journey will be hard. But if you can take that perseverance and really be passionate about what you're solving, the foreword of Future Proofing You was written by Tom Bilyeu. Tom had a software company he wasn't passionate about. They're making money. But he had obese, morbidly obese relatives. And he looked at the protein bars in the market, and they were all made with corn syrup. There were 1,600 different ones out there, and they're basically candy bars. And he goes, this is wrong. I want to do something. I want to help obesity. I want to solve that problem. The void is nobody else is actually solving it. They're claiming to. So he started Quest, Quest Bars, and... They're great bars. And a couple of years later, then they sell for a billion dollars. That's what gets you through the hurdles. One of his hurdles was when he went to, normally most food brands don't actually make their own. They come with the recipe and they go to a co-packer. But every co-packer had machinery that required a liquid stuff to squeeze out to make the tubes and the corn syrup's the liquid thing that makes that work. And that's why everybody used it. So when they hit that wall, Okay, there's no co-packer. I guess we go out of business. No, they still have to solve the problem. So one of the founders at Quest literally took a blowtorch, bought one of those machines, and took it apart and made their own new machine to make bars. Right? They just, whatever the obstacle is, you can overcome it. One out of three Fortune 500 companies in the U.S. was founded by an immigrant or the first-generation child. And why I say that is because those immigrants had a passion. Their journey started before they got to the shores. If they're doing a, a menial job, if they're sweeping a floor, if they're you know working somewhere, that's not their identity. That is a step in their path to get to their goal. And that's why you see that drive. When Elon Musk was a young immigrant in this country with no money, he wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he was afraid, could he live in this rich country and survive? So he said, I'm going to see if I can live for a dollar a day for a month. Could he live on $30? And probably ate a lot of ramen, okay, and some oranges and some pizza. But he did it. And once he knew that, he said, I'll always be able to make $30 so I can take the risk. And his first company, he literally had one PC. The website was up during the day. At night, they programmed on it. They lived in the little office. They had no apartments. They went and took their shower down at the Y. And now he's worth $200 billion. Oh, my God. It was a journey in identity. It's incredible. Goes to show you what passion can do and some grit, right? So amazing. Okay, next one. Everything is a tech startup. This is truth number eight. So I, I sometimes hear people say, well, I'm opening a restaurant. I'm, I'm doing shoes. I'm doing Every business is a tech startup. Play this game with me. You're going to get the answer wrong. That's why it's a game that I'm doing. If I gave you a million dollars and said, go back 10 years and pick the number one most successful tech stock, what would it be? 
10 years ago? Yeah. Facebook? Nope. Not Google, not Apple, not Instagram. No. It's a trick question. If everything's a tech startup, the tech company that was the most successful the past 10 years was Domino's Pizza. And you go, that's a tech company? When they went app-centric, the majority of their employees work in IT. They now have a direct relationship with their customer. They can test market. They can regionalize. They can do all kinds of stuff that their competition can't. They can use less people to make. What the product is, is actually the easiest part of business. So if you're spending most of your life in the digital world, if the first thing you do when you wake up is look at your phone and you spend five and a half hours looking at it during the day and it's the last thing you kiss at night, why isn't your business there? Even if it's something in, in the physical world. So you have to take that point of view. And the second part of that is the only competitive advantage in any business in the 21st century, including your media company, is getting insights from your customers faster than the competition. So it's that tech data. It's that direct relationship. Very interesting. Okay. Truth number 12, remote workers are your competitive advantage. We touched on this a bit. So we touched on this. So, so here's what's interesting. For the employer, we talked about that. For the employee, you're not spending on average 81 minutes commuting. So that is now a gift to spend more time with loved ones or to take care of kids or take care of elderly relatives or whatever to do your side hustle, to, to just have a work-life balance that brings you joy in every day. I commuted for years. And in the morning, it was a grind. I get into the office in a horrible mood. And at the end of a long day, I come home drained and have no energy for my kids or my, my spouse. And, you know, it wasn't fair to her. It wasn't fair to them. Now imagine that you don't have to do that and you're not inhaling carbon monoxide for you know, an hour and a half a day. So that's a huge advantage. And the tools are in place. People wanted to do this since the 1970s. It just now all the software is there. There are tax incentives for doing it. And as I said earlier, you're no longer limited to just hire the best people in your town. You can hire the best people for the job. If you don't believe me, have you ever used 99designs? No, but I use like Fiverr and Fiverr, yeah. and stuff. So yeah. these gig things where, you know, I can say I'll pay $500 for a logo and I'll get 100 submissions, right? And when I pick one, I always ask, where are you? And sometimes it's somebody doing a high tussle from a major ad agency. And sometimes it's a college kid in Indonesia. It's just phenomenal. So that's the great advantage of that. Yeah, so I know... Earlier, we were talking about how COVID impacted your book. And obviously, this last truth here, remote work is your advantage. I think all that obviously accelerated with COVID. You know, it became a reality much faster because of COVID. And now I don't think I was working at Disney streaming services at the time. I'm an entrepreneur now. I actually started my side hustle, Yap Media, because I didn't have a commute anymore. And I've grown it so big as a side hustle. So it goes to show that you can do a lot of time with that, those 80 minutes that you can do a lot with those 80 minutes that you were previously commuting. So what else changed with COVID? What would you say is, because this seems like a positive, right? What other positive things do you see or, or just changes in the future because of this pandemic? What do you see? So one of the other big changes is... There has been a move towards people, especially of the younger generation, this is what I learned from the mentoring process, 
want to feel that purpose and that passion in their job. They want to work at a company that shares their values. They want to buy products from companies that share their values. Now, when we all got hit by something like this, it really just knocked that home because those companies that, that didn't take this seriously, we don't want to do business with, and those that really helped their employees or treated the community better because of this and, and raised a hand and said, how can I help? We want them. So anybody can make shoes. But when Tom's Shoes says when you buy a pair from Tom's, they give a pair to somebody that's never had a pair, it sure makes you feel better about that. So this started as cause marketing, but where we're now moving and where I end the book is talking about sustainable capitalism. The era of having endless growth, which is what capitalism is about and making your business bigger, bigger, you can't have endless growth on a finite planet. So you can either wait for the inevitable regulations that may put you out of business, or you can lean into that void and work on some of these big problems in your, in your own world. And proof of the pudding, I, know I didn't want to run another company, but when the, the team from Greenfield Robotics came to me and said, we have a little robot that goes up and down the, the field, think of rows of corn, and deals with weeds so you don't have to put pesticides on our food. You don't have to put poisons on the food. You don't have to till the soil, which is why you, farmers till the soils to break up weeds. And that's the single largest source of greenhouse gases on the planet. 25% of carbon in the atmosphere comes from farming. So these little robots can save our atmosphere, can save us from getting cancer, can let the farmers make 40% more because you don't have to buy the chemicals and it's robots as a service. And the extra poisons don't go down the river killing all the fish in the Gulf of Mexico. I felt morally obligated to say no is to say, I don't care about the future of this planet. And so that's why I said yes to be chairman of, of Greenfield Robotics. And it changes the world. But every company can do it and they can do it for the profitable reason, not as charity. Walmart, after employing people, their second biggest cost was energy. So they leaned in, they looked at it, and they replaced all the fluorescent lights with LEDs, saving $100 million of energy a year. Well, if they do that, that puts a target on Target's back. Like, we got to do something. So now Target is the largest installation of solar panels, right? So everybody's moving this direction. When we use all that energy to search stuff on Google, you can imagine how big those server farms are all over the world. Google has been carbon neutral for over a decade, all with renewable resources, all putting things in the coolest places that you know, can use the least amount of energy. So we don't have time to pretend that our planet isn't changing in a way that may not be hospitable for mammals. We have to act now. And why not make that part of your passion and part of what drives your business to go further? I completely agree. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey. 
to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so we're going to wind this down. I have a few questions on you being a futurist. I want to talk about spatial reality and I want to talk about NFTs. So you call spatial reality a trillion dollar opportunity. I've never really heard of this before. So tell us what spatial reality is. If I haven't heard it, I'm sure that most of my listeners have not heard about it yet. Explain what that is. So you may know it by the term augmented reality. It's that we will now have a digital overlay on our world. We will have heads up displays, glasses that we wear. I'm looking for where mine are. So you will no longer be taking your phone out of your pocket. You will be getting information here. He's pulling out his glasses, by the way, for everybody listening oh, yeah, sorry. to audio. So here's how that's different. If you went back 10 years ago, you can't live without your iPhone. You can't live without a smartphone. It, it rules your life. It's every business. But 10 years ago, before people created apps, no one knew what to do with it. The first year, one of the top 10 apps was the fart app. Just made fart sounds. Which means they didn't think of Robinhood or OpenTable or the countless other businesses that made billions of dollars. So now I'm telling you, the big guys are all working on these. Google's a client, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft. If Google doesn't own this, they, the, the lenses, they go out of business. If Apple doesn't sell you the glasses, they go out of business. And if you don't believe that you buy glasses for an app, 80 million pairs of glasses were sold in 2020 in the U.S. that cost more than $150 a pair. They came with one app, Focus. You want to read. Another 50 million came with another app called Sun. You want to be out in the sun, you need sunglasses. So an app that changes any menu anywhere in the world from any language to a language that you know, that's a pretty good app. You can also subtract things from the environment. You can go into the supermarket and say, the doctor just told me I have diabetes. Show me every product that doesn't have sugar and everything else will disappear. Show me those things that are keto or halal or kosher or uh, show me just the French wine. Show me which wine I had over such and such's house two weeks ago. So all sales and marketing will be taking place in this overlay. Why wouldn't you want to solve a problem today that couldn't be solved before that these glasses will now solve just as apps solve so many things? And think of the billions of dollars of businesses that will be created from this. People will not be searching for information. Information will be coming to them. Okay, so basically just to like kind of recap this to my listeners, spatial reality has to do with these glasses that you wear. And essentially it's a filter that people can, like how would that even work? Like you gave the example of walking into Target or something and, and saying, show me everything that doesn't have sugar. How would that even work? Does every box have a scanner or something? 
So there's a company right now that's, that's scanning in all the products, and it'll black out the ones that it recognizes on the shelves. A simple one. I don't remember where I parked my car, and I look down, and there's a, a line of, of, you know, to my car. Or I'm often travel around the world, and I go to some hotel. I'm supposed to speak in the Monterey Ballroom. Where's the Monterey Ballroom? You know, just make me a line. Uh, you know, Pokemon Go showed that people would do this, okay? But it's so many more uses. You're a fireman. You're going to smoke-filled building, but your heads-up display ties into the blueprints that the city already has. So you know where the stairs are. You know where the window is. You know where the shutoff is. Uh, you're digging construction in the back uh, on some lot. You can see through the ground, so to speak, and see where the pipes are, where the conduits, so you don't cut off the cable for the entire neighborhood. So there are lots and lots of uses. They also talk. You can, you can use the vibration of the sides of the glasses, what's called bone conductivity, so it can talk to you, but nobody else hears it. So imagine a LinkedIn version where when you walk up to me, it tells me your name, and I see all the details. So I go, oh, how is your dog Fido doing? You know, Endless possibilities. And so the fir first generation of these come out this Christmas, but in 22 and 23, this goes mainstream just like the iPhone did. This will be bigger than the PC revolution, the internet, and mobile combined. Oh my gosh, you got me so excited. I'm, and I, my, my wheels are spinning. How do you suggest that we start learning about this now and start just understanding it better? Because augmented reality, everybody talks about it, but I never see anything concrete, like the way that you just explained it to me. So like, how can we learn more about this, get more involved? Where are the opportunities? Well, they got 500 million people to play Pokemon Go. That was, that was the proof that you could get anybody to do it, where you could walk around in the real world and do stuff. And it ties into NFTs, by the way. I will be doing my first NFT in this area and get past the hype of what's going on to something that I, I think will be successful. The best way to get into it today is, is start reading, looking the news, seeing whatever, but just use your imagination. You now understand what the glasses do. It's no different than what a tablet can do, but you, know, you can't walk around holding up a tablet, so to speak. What does that solve? What does that do for the immediacy? Where can I use that as a marketing company? In my Tesla, self-driving down the, down the road, you know from all my searching and lifestyle that I eat at McDonald's three times a week. It's two o'clock, you know, that I haven't stopped to eat. There's a McDonald's two miles ahead. And lo and behold, I see in my glasses a French fry floating in the sky. If I grab it, the car will take me through and I get a free French fry. What that basically was marketing, point of sale, conversion to instant bottom line in a nanosecond. Take it down to you're wearing your glasses, you're in the aisle Best Buy, there's three different printers. If you're just going in there picking up a printer, nothing happens. If you're in that aisle for 10 minutes, why not give the person 20% off coupon for your specific model that's right there, right? So think of all the things that you do with the shopping cart, all the things that we've done online, we can now do in the real world. You buy a whole bunch of clothes from, from Macy's all the time. Macy's knows what you bought in the past. You're now in their physical store or a virtual pop-up store that doesn't really exist. All the mannequins now have your body shape. They have some of the pieces that you already have with some new things that would go well together with those. The store has been customized to your exact taste. Uh, Ikea, number one reason for returns, people are bad with spatial reality in the, in the actual sense. They buy stuff that's too big, 
their, their, their living room's 10 feet long and they get a 14-foot sofa. It's not Ikea's fault that these people are challenged. So now all their catalogs have that. Can open up, there's a little barcode, hold up your phone, and you can see your furniture at scale in your own place. It goes on and on and on and on. And I've worked on a number of these with some major corporations, but I'm here to tell you all the ones that are going to make people so rich are simple, solve a problem. You got my wheel spinning. That's for sure. Okay. So last question, what are NFTs? What do you think is the most important thing that my millennial and Gen Z listeners need to know? So there was a lot of hype when an artist just got $69 million for a digital file that everybody else can see for free. So here's what it is. We understand blockchain. Blockchain is, is a ledger that's on lots of computers that says, this is real. You own this Bitcoin. You own this thing. A non-fungible token is a token. Think of, you know, a, 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 a token from a game or, you know, a, a poker chip that says this is an original. There's a, a record of it. So lots of people can get a poster of the Mona Lisa, but the original is hanging in the Louvre. So many people can buy a new song, you know, from Justin Timberlake, but one person can own the first copy or the original copy. Kings of Leon just did this. Right now, there's silly money doing silly hype and silly dollar amounts. Where do I think this is going to go? Let me give you a great example. One of the joys of going to a concert, you know, your favorite band, is to buy a piece of memorabilia to say, I was there. Okay? Proof that you were there. So you get the concert t-shirt with the dates and, you know, you know, Van Halen tour, I was there. Okay? What if they had an NFT that only people at that facility at that moment in time that actually witnessed it would have? And what if you could then display that in a way that shows that it's proof that you could show you are the biggest Springsteen fan because you've been to 82 Springsteen concerts, okay? So in the old days, you would hold paper tickets, but those could be lost or stolen. So there's now digital souvenirs. And so that's something that, that I'm working on that I'm excited about. I think I've got a, a project that when I was a, a, a young boy, I would have you know, begged mom and dad to take me to. So I'm excited to have this come to fruition in a couple of years. But think of that. Think of what is a digital trading card? What is something where somebody wants to have that, that ownership? And will these become investable in time where they'll go up in value? Remains to be seen. But if you start thinking about towards the collection and the only way to complete the collection, so let's pretend, I'm making this up, I, I didn't think of this ahead of time, that if you could prove that you had been to 100 Springsteen concerts, when you hit the 100th concert, you get to go backstage and meet them for the meet and greet, okay? Now, all of a sudden, you might want to buy my NFT from that concert from three years ago that you missed because you could buy your way into that level, just as in people that play video games buy the shield of death or the thing from people that sit and play the game all day to sell digital items. That's where this started. It's here to stay. And if you don't believe that you're going to spend money for digital, I'd argue with anybody listening that the majority of your income goes to digital today. Your rent is digital, your phone bill, your cable bill, your health insurance, credit card, student loan, all digital. It's so true. This is, it's already how we operate. And look at Bitcoin. It's at $60,000 or something already. It's so insane. 
there's a speech of me talking about Bitcoin uh, back when it was 20 something dollars. People didn't believe, uh, you know, uh, I was lucky that somebody explained it to me day one. And, uh, you know, I've watched, uh, I've watched people become billionaires just from, from crypto. Yeah, I regret not buying Bitcoin. <laughs> all right, cool. So thank you so much, Jay. The last question I ask all my guests, and by the way, I loved this interview and I think everyone's going to love it. It was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, before you ask the last question, anybody that's made it this far into your show and loves you and therefore cares about the subject, I'm not selling anything. I'm not upselling. I, I don't have masterminds. You can't buy my face on the t-shirt. I'm just paying it forward. That's why I do this. I have on my website free workbooks for both Disrupt You and Future Proofing You. You just go to my name, Jay Samet, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T.com, and you can download those. And those will, a lot of times you're reading something, oh, this is good, this is good. And then you get to the next chapter and you forgot the last stuff. This allows you to pause and start working on your plan while you're reading. Because I believe that you can do what Vin did. I believe you can be successful. I believe you can help make the world a better place. Now on to the last question. I love that. I, I And I'll definitely link those workbooks in my show notes, guys. Okay. Yeah. Future Proofing You. That's a book. Don't forget it. Make sure you guys grab a copy. Again, Jay is doing this out of the kindness of his heart. So uh, definitely go support and learn yourself. So the last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life? Solve for others to solve for you. If you're on a journey that it's all about you, it's a very lonely place. But when you can impact other people's lives, it is the most gratifying experience. It gives you meaning and purpose of every day. I often tell people, if you can't find somebody with a smile, give them yours. I mean, it it takes so little effort and you never know when one word of encouragement one pat on the back, you know, whatever it may take, opening one door to give somebody a chance can just change their whole trajectory of life. We're all here because other people came before us and helped. And we have that obligation to make the world better. And I believe the purpose in life is to live a life of purpose. And and so once I, I had success, I wanted to help people because not to get into politics at the end of the show, but when I saw what happened in our nation's capital this year in January, what I saw was thousands of people that feel left out, left behind, literally fighting over the leftovers of society. The bottom 140 million people in the U.S. are fighting over 1%. While the top doubled their wealth during the pandemic. Why are we still teaching people how to be factory workers when there are not factory jobs? Why are we idly letting democracy disappear? Because the only way you have democracy is if you have a strong middle class and the only people that create a strong middle class are entrepreneurs. They are the job creators. So what you do with your podcast is making the world a better place. And I salute you for that and keep on doing it. Thank you. I think that was so beautiful and so powerful. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? I'm everywhere where you have to be on social media nowadays. So you can find me on LinkedIn or, or Instagram or whatever. My website, jsamet.com, has old speeches and articles and columns that I've written for Wall Street Journal and Fortune and other things. And uh, I love to hear from people. So don't be a stranger anywhere on the world. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. I hope you found immense value in this episode with Jay Samets. I definitely know that I did. And every time he comes on, I learn so much. If I had to pick one part of this episode that's my favorite, it was when he was firing off the 12th truths for becoming future-proof. And to everyone out there, if you remember, he said growth mindset was truth number one. And if you're listening right now, I want you to remember this. Growth mindset was truth number one for a reason. Because believing in your ability to succeed is the key to becoming future-proof. The more we believe we can improve, the more effort we will put towards our goals. Let me just repeat that. The more we believe we can improve, the more effort we will put towards our goals. And this will even happen subconsciously. With a growth mindset, you realize that obstacles are just opportunities in disguise and you move from there. And so I hope if nothing else, this episode inspires you to be greater than what you currently are. If you're interested in learning more about how to unleash your full potential in life or in business, take a listen to a throwback yap episode number 60, Surviving Entrepreneurship with Evan Carmichael. In Evan's episode, we talk about how he scaled his YouTube channel to becoming one of the most popular self-improvement channels in the world and why trusting the process instead of tying yourself to the end result is so important. Here's a clip from that episode. If you tie your self-worth to winning, you're only going to take on projects that you know you're going to win at. Mm. And so you play small for life. When you tie your self-worth to the effort, to trying, to taking on challenges, most days you're not going to win, but you're going to end up accomplishing so much more than the person who's just staying inside their comfort zone, only doing the things they know how to be great at. So for me, if I'm doing this show, if I'm nervous to come on and do this show, it's episode 60, I don't want to let Hala down. (laughs) You know, my my biggest fear is I'm going to disappoint people. Mm -hmm. So if I showed up, And the only thing I did was vomit all over my microphone. (laughs) (laughs) One, hey, you get some good content. It's different. (laughs) It might get a viral clip. You know, it might be the worst interview of all time for you, for me. But I'm still leaving, patting myself on the back, saying I did did my max. And hopefully for my next interview, I only vomit inside my mouth. Mm -hmm. And then the next interview is a little bit, right? And and I'll, I'll slowly get better. Yeah. If you woke up and did the thing that that made you proud of yourself every single day, you're going to accomplish amazing, amazing things. Yeah. If you only tie yourself worth to getting that result, you're going to stay small for life. Again, check out Evan Carmichael's episode if you want to consistently hit your goals by trusting the process. And if you're a new listener, please make sure you take a few minutes to subscribe to Yap and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't know, Apple Podcast reviews are the most coveted reviews for podcasters, and that's because they actually impact our podcast rankings. A lot of these other apps, their reviews don't impact the rankings. And so that's why I always push Apple Podcast reviews because we want to be at the top of the charts so that we can impact and improve as many lives as possible. And as always, I want to shout out a recent Apple podcast review. And this week's review goes out to Paul Pads. What a find. What a blessing it is to discover this podcast. So many gems and insights for people of any age looking to propel their careers. It's so easy to hit the subscribe button. A good podcast gets you excited about the possibilities. And that's exactly what this podcast achieves. Hala is a wonderful host creating the space and ambiance for her guests to really open up. Thank Thanks so much for the content, Hala. 
No, thank you so much, Paul, for your amazing review. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time and reaching out to us all the way from Great Britain. So Paul Pads, so happy to have you as a listener. And thank you so much for taking five minutes to write us an Apple podcast review. And if you're out there listening and you find value in our show, the number one way to thank us is via an Apple podcast review. And don't forget to share Young and Profiting Podcast with your friends and family and on social media. I love it when you guys take a screenshot of the app and then tag me at Yap with Hala on Instagram on your stories. And then I'll definitely repost and reshare. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Hala Taha. And now I'm on Clubhouse. I'm there almost every single day at Hala Taha. I'm hosting events. Definitely follow me there. Tap the bell for always so you always know when I open up a room. I also do a live podcast every single Tuesday night at 8 p.m. So if you want to catch Young and Profiting live, tune in on Clubhouse and the Human Behavior Club. It's the largest club on Clubhouse and I'm hosting my Young and Profiting live episodes. You guys probably have, you know, heard a few already because I've been posting them on the podcast every single Tuesday at 8 p.m. So super excited about that. And with that said, big thanks to the App family. You guys are amazing. This is Hala signing off.